now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. I was thinking about the words to that song, all I ever need is Jesus and he's all I need. And, and I was just thinking periods of time in my life that you never realize that Jesus is all you need until you get to a place where you feel like he's all you have. And when you get there, you'll know he's all you need. Until then, it's like, I need Jesus, but I got pretty good life. But when some of that stuff starts to fall away, uh, you'll realize that he's really, he's really all you need. And uh, we've been going through this pathway to maturity, and, and y'all already look more mature. I mean, you're just growing every single week. I can just see you leaps and bounds. I'm just so proud of you. Like a proud daddy up here looking at my kids growing and their maturity and learning to study your Bible and pray and your identity. And today we're going to learn to walk. Isn't it fun when you start to watch little kids learn to walk? I mean, you're holding out keys and little things for them to kind of come after and then they fall flat on their face and, ah, you know, but it's amazing how resilient God has made them. They can bump their heads and they get right back up and try it again. And uh, we've got one. Do you mind me sharing another grandkid story? Sorry, if you don't, you know, you can go to the bathroom during this next two minutes. Um, but we've got one. She lives in Massachusetts, Adelaide. Adelaide L is her middle name. And um, she's just took her first steps this week, and I just wanted you to see it. Look at her. Oh, she's a doll. You like it? She's actually going toward my daughter, trying to find something that she's got in her hand for her. But she's not even a year old yet. She'll be a year, February the 14th. And, and that's pretty good. I'm impressed. You know, we've had some of them that, that um, why don't we give her a hand? Yeah, let's give her a hand. She's not even here, but they might watch. Who knows? Um, but, but some of them, you know, like her, I think that's the fastest one of them has walked. Maybe. I'm not, I can't remember. It all runs together. But I do know some of them waited like 16 or 17 months. They were like, I'm not going to bother walking when I can get carried around you know, or strolled around or whatever. But, but that's just the journey of life. We start to watch these little kids learn to walk. And when they do that, they stumble and they fall and they bump their heads. And, you know, it seems like every one of them will find the corner of a coffee table at some point in that journey of learning to walk. Lacey, Adelaide's mom, when she was learning to walk, she was pushing a trash can, a little plastic trash can around our house. We lived in Lubbock, Texas at the time, and it had a broken corner, bad parenting moment there. Um, but she fell and she sliced her eyelid open on the corner of that. We had to take her down to the emergency room. They said, we're not going to be able to deaden that, so we're just going to stitch it up without deadening it. And so guess who else was laying in a hospital bed right next to her in the ER? Tracy was, because I'm over there holding her down and she's screaming. It was traumatic for all of us, but we survived it. But that's part of learning to walk. It's just, there's going to be moments that we stumble. Same thing holds true in our spiritual walk. When we start to learn to walk in obedience, we learn to walk in obedience by taking steps of obedience. It's one at a time. You know, no kid goes from, from laying on their back or laying on their stomach to standing on their feet and running overnight. It takes a process. There's a process of maturity. And so in your spiritual journey and in my spiritual journey, we would like to be somewhere that we may or may not be yet. Hopefully we say we're not there yet. We're always on this spiritual journey, but you're not going to be a spiritually fully mature person right out of the gate. 
It's going to take some disciplines in your life and and personal private disciplines are where it's at. It's that Bible study. It's that prayer. It's learning who you are in Christ Jesus. It's walking in obedience. And next week, we're going to talk about confessing sins and cleaning up after ourselves, what that looks like, which you still want your kids to do, right? But we learn to walk in obedience by taking steps of obedience. We learn this from Jesus Christ himself. Do you know that Jesus had to learn and grow? When Jesus was born, and we just celebrated Christmas a few weeks ago, when Jesus was born, God did not immediately, God the Father just did not immediately download everything that Jesus needed to know for life when he was an infant. We read from scripture that Jesus, in his 100% humanity, he veiled his deity meaning that he lived as a man. Even though he was 100% God in the flesh, he still lived and functioned on this earth as 100% man. So we learn from scripture that he grew in stature and he grew in wisdom. So he had to learn some things. And one of the things that Jesus learned was how to be obedient. And he did that in perfection. And he comes along and he tells his disciples this. John, or Matthew chapter 16 records it for us. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So there is a level of self-denial that we have to have in order to be fully devoted followers of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean? Here's what John wrote for us. He said, whoever says he abides in him, talking about Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what John is saying, the way that you learn to walk in obedience is look at how Jesus did it. Jesus did it in perfection. And there were some things that he did that were very evident as we read scripture, specifically the gospels and other places, but we see how Jesus walked in obedience. And so let's look at three of them today. There may be others, and you could add to this list in your own studies, but I've just got three today. And the first one is this. When when we find that in Luke chapter four, verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, this is where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Now, for us, It looks like this. Walking in obedience means we need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And if you've grown up in church or if you've been around some Christian people, sometimes this idea of what it means to be walking in the Spirit can get a little bit weird, right? I mean, people start talking some language and you start going, what do you mean that? That, 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 that the Spirit told you something and you're telling me. and, 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 And sometimes it gets a little bit out there and we start to go, I'm not sure I know how to walk in the Spirit because I don't know how to listen to the Spirit. And and that's okay because I think some of that is through maturity we get maybe to that place. But the very basic part of it, it's really not that hard to understand. I mean, we can read places where Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness here, but also we can look over in the book of Galatians and Paul, who learned to walk in the Spirit in obedience, He also laid out for us what it means to walk in the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, here's what Paul records for us. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And so if he just said, listen, I want you to leave here today and I want you to just walk by the spirit, walk in the spirit, let the spirit lead you in everything and you will not gratify the sins or the desires of your flesh. And, and it, what it means is that we're just controlled by the spirit. It's like putting a glove on your hand. When you put your hand inside that glove, you control the glove. And so as a Christian, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he did put the Holy Spirit in your life who can control you or should control you, but it is an intentional decision that you and I have to make all day long. It's, it's decisions that we make when we're interacting with other people. It's decisions that we, that we make when we're making decisions in our lives. Walking in the Spirit is an intentional decision that we have to make. The Spirit doesn't come in and automatically make us like little puppets or little robots that does exactly what he says. No, he's in us, living in us, and we have to be in tune with what he wants us to do. So Paul gives us a little bit more instruction. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. We know that. You got things that, that you know that you should do, and then you got things that your flesh wants to do, and you know that they're opposing one another, and you've got a decision to make. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So one moment you want to live in the spirit and the flesh is kind of battling against that. Another moment you may feel weak and you want to go against, go live in the flesh and the spirit saying, no, don't do that. You shouldn't talk that way. Shouldn't act that way. You shouldn't treat your wife or kids or employees or your employer that way. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my voice. It's going to be a short sermon. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And if you're like me, this has been a lifelong journey of trying to live according to what the Spirit would want me to live and, and not live in disobedience. So I can go to the Old Testament law and I can start looking through all of that, okay? And what, what Paul is saying is victory over sin doesn't come through the law. Victory over sin comes through the Holy Spirit, because the law doesn't have the same power that the Spirit does. The law shows you your need for salvation. The Spirit leads you and guides you into all truth. So we've got to be in tune with the Spirit. And here's what he says. <clears throat> now, the works of the flesh, these two battles that are going on inside of you, the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives three that have to do with sexual immorality. He says sexual immorality which is all forms of sexual immorality. That's any form of sexual gratification outside of the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. If it falls into another category, it's sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, all of these things, this, this moral uncleanness that we see rampant in our culture. He said, those are the works of the flesh. And so he categorizes these things. He says, here's three of them, that three things that are considered works of sexual immorality. I've got time. There we go. All right. So we've got idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. And he starts to list all of these others. But these first two here, these are religious sins. This idolatry is bowing down to anything that is a false god. Anything that we would, we would serve. And we wouldn't say that we'd have this little icon, like a little Buddhist thing in our, our Buddha thing in our house that we would bow down to. But we're bowing down to things all the time. We're bowing down to our stuff. We're bowing down to a culture. We're bowing down to all kinds of things in our lives. And that's idolatry. And then he categorizes sorcery. 
This is all kinds of other things. These necromancers, these are things like fortune tellers, any form of witchcraft. He says, these are forms of religious sin that you need to avoid. And then he dives into eight social sins. And I'm just gonna quickly run through these. There's enmity, this hatred toward other people, this strife, this fighting back and forth, jealousy. I don't want you to have the stuff you want that you have. I want it and I don't want you to have it. Fits of anger, this outburst of rage, this rivalries between, um, I think my life can be better than your life and I think I can make my social media life better than your social media life. I can make you want to envy what I have. That's rivalries, dissensions. It's just going against one another, this divisions that he's talking about. And then he jumps into envy, another social sin. You know, envy is I want what you have. Jealousy is I don't even want you to have it. And he talks about these social sins that we get caught up in. And then he goes into some some sins associated with alcohol and other substances, drunkenness. Anything that would cause you not to be able to logically think through things. If you are dependent upon any substance that, you, that, that alters you, stay away from it. And then orgies, this is just sexual immorality associated with partying and orgies and things like that. And then he says, and in case I didn't get them all, and it's anything like these. These are sins of the flesh. These are things that we gratify ourselves with and maybe as a follower of Christ, you would feel guilty about those later. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you do these things, if you are a practicing immoral person, if you're practicing any of the things that he listed there, he says, there's a good chance, there's a probable chance that you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because the Holy Spirit's not living in you. You've never been saved. Because whenever I slip and fall and maybe have one of those outbursts of rage, of anger, you know what happens to me? I feel guilty. Why is that? The Holy Spirit's living inside me. So if you can continue to live a lifestyle of sin, whatever it was in any of those categories, whether it be social, sexual, um, religious, or alcohol, whatever those things are, if you can continue to live that way and there's no guilt whatsoever, Let's go back and check our salvation is what he's saying. Because if you continue to live those lifestyles with no evidence of the Holy Spirit's convicting, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there's another side of this. It's the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that we should be doing as we mature and as we grow. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These things are self-evident. We can just, just start to look at every one of those things and go, These are, this is fruit of the Spirit. This is evidence of my life in Jesus Christ, that I have joy that's outside of my circumstances, that I have patience with people. And I'm a work in progress on that, and all of us are in certain ones of these. It's kindness, it's just being nice. Some of you should probably try that. Just being, I should probably try that. We were struggling the other night at a restaurant and we went to a restaurant and we went to the, when we got in the front door, it seemed like everybody there didn't want to be there. And Tracy and I were looking at each other just going, what in the world? We finally sat down at our table and the waitress was incredible. She was awesome. 
And I told her at the end, I said, let me tell you something. If it wasn't for you, this would have been a one-star review on Yelp. But you have turned the tide. And so it is, sometimes if you're just nice to somebody, you can overcome a lot of other things. So just be nice. And so he says, against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh, the desires of the flesh, those things that we talked about a moment ago, and with his passions and its desires. You wake up every day and say, I am not going to give in to the desires of my flesh. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let me walk every single day growing in obedience. God, today you're putting your finger on this area of anger in my life, that I'm not living in joy or I'm not being nice to people. Today, my step of obedience is going to be that I'm gonna be nice to every single person I come into contact with. And then you get on the interstate. And then you get to work. And then you get home. And you gotta deal with it. You go, Lord, I said this morning I'm gonna be nice to everybody, but oh my goodness, if I could punch a wall right now. You know, it's like we struggle with it, but we have to make that decision so we can keep in step with the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit, really, it's not mystical. It's really very practical. And if you need to study that, just go back to Galatians chapter five. Paul lays it out. This is what walking in the Spirit looks like. Don't do these things, but instead do these things. And if you master those, you're doing all right. You don't have to worry about all the other things. Those things, if we could just get obedient to those, we would be walking in the Spirit and it would be very evident to others. The second thing is we need to walk in love. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. <clears throat> A new commandment I give to you. Telling his disciples, I've given, I'm gonna give you a new commandment to which they would probably go, why do we need another one? We've got plenty of them. But he says, here's the new one I'm giving to you. Hang on. It's just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The same way I love you is the way I want you to go out and love one another. And we see Jesus walking in obedience toward the most unlovable people of his day. He walked and he called a tax collector. He dealt with the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. He dealt with the woman at the well. He dealt with so many different people who were considered the outcast, the least of these, and he demonstrated love. But ultimately, he demonstrated his love by laying down his life on the cross for your sins and my sins. And what he's saying to you and me is he said, if you want people to know that you're a follower of me, You've got to live and love toward one another. And Christians, we have got to get this right. There have been plenty of us who have messed this up for so long. Man, and, and he says this, I want you to know that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what we've done as Christians, is we've put everything else out there to let people know that we're followers of Jesus. We make sure they know how we vote. We make sure that they know we got Christian t-shirts. We make sure that they know that we listen to the Christian music. We make sure we put scriptures on our social media page. We make sure that we're attending church. We make sure we sing loud when we're supposed to sing. We make sure we do all of these things and we go out there and we treat people like garbage. And he said, I don't care how many Christian t-shirts you have. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care how many social justice things you stand up for. If you can't love somebody that you don't even like, we've got a problem. Because people will not know you're my disciples if you hate other people or if you mistreat other people. The way they're gonna know you're a follower of Jesus is by the way you love one another. And I'm still working on that. 
and so are you, and so let's just work on it together, okay? Let's let charity, which is an archaic word that means love, the name of our church, let it be represented in the way that we live in our community and everywhere that we go. He goes on and he says this, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, here's what I am. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me show you what he means by that. Let me show you my, another talent I have. <clears throat> so if I'm up here just preaching and I've got this eloquent word and I'm just you know, telling you how awesome the Lord is and how great my life is and, and all of that's done out of selfish ambition and no love, is that getting annoying yet? Raise your hand if it is. I'll wait till all hands are up. Okay, we're done. Thank you. That's what he's talking about. He said, I don't care how much you do all of these things and put on a good display for everybody to see. If you're selfish in your motives and it's not done out of love, you are annoying to everybody around you because they can see through the facade. They know you're doing it from selfish ambition. They know you're doing it for your own personal gain. They know you're putting your life out there so you can get more followers. They know what your motivation is and they see right through it. And Paul is saying, I don't care how talented you are, you can speak in these languages that everybody wants to speak in, but if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. And if you have prophetic powers, you understand all the mysteries, you have all this knowledge, and if I have the faith so that I can even remove mountains, but if I don't have love, I am absolutely nothing. When our actions are not motivated by love, we are self-serving and others will notice. Finally, walking in obedience means walking in the spirit, walking in love, and then finally, walking through suffering. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews recorded this for us. He said, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Listen, as Christians, we go through suffering. As humans, we go through suffering. As the son of Danny Payton, my dad, I learned obedience through some suffering. Because when I didn't obey, you know what my dad believed in? He'd rip that belt off. He didn't just fold it once, he folded it twice. When I saw him folding his belt twice, I knew I was in trouble. And you know what he'd say? Go to your room and get ready. I never knew exactly what that meant, but I will tell you this, it did not mean put a pillow in your pants. Because I tried that one time. And it didn't work. Now I know today they don't believe in that. You know, they get time out, they get their iPad taken away and all that kind of stuff. My daddy believed in it. So I learned obedience through some discipline, through some suffering. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus never disobeyed. He was always obedient, but he had to learn obedience through suffering. Just like he grew in stature and in wisdom, he had to go through some suffering so that he could identify with your suffering and my suffering even better. When he didn't wanna to go to the cross, he said, not my will, but your will be done. He learned obedience through suffering on the cross. So he knows about your suffering. He knows about my suffering because he learned obedience that way. So as we go through it, our lives ought to be evidence that we are loving God, we are loving people, 
and that we are walking in obedience even through suffering when we would want to give it up. We would want to give up, but we learn obedience. A few weeks ago, Zach Ward, who we just ordained as a deacon, came to me. He was just, God just stirring up some things in him. And he says, Len, I'm in, this, I'm in this place in my life now that God is just showing me so many different things, and I feel like I need to get my story out. And I said, Zach, your story is gonna match up with a sermon that I'm preaching in just a few weeks. And so, if you will, just give me just a couple of minutes for you to hear Zach's story. Hey, my name's Zach Ward, and this is my story. When I was a child, I knelt down on the couch with my mother, and she told me what it meant to be saved. And when I knelt as a child and had that faith, I know that from that point, God lived in my heart. I was raised going to church. I went to Central Baptist, right around the corner. I went to Parkwood and Concord. I came back to Central Baptist, lived, breathed, walked church. I was a good kid. I can't say that I was the best kid, but I wasn't a bad kid. As I got older, I got into high school, started choosing what friends I was gonna hang out with. Some of the friends I chose led me to make bad decisions. Little did I know, some of those decisions that I made were gonna follow me around for the next 20 years. After my senior year of high school, I always played baseball, and I knew that I was good at baseball. A guy named Rusty Strap, a good Christian man from Gardner-Webb University, came and watched me pitch the summer of 2002. And he said, hey, we want to give you a full ride, you know, mostly athletic, and the other part was academic, to come to Gardner-Webb University to play baseball. So I accepted, because my goal was to play Division I baseball for a college somewhere. And that was the answer. So I went. I went to college, and I'd like to say that because I went to a Christian university, that the choices I made changed, but they didn't. I continued to make bad choices and hang out with the wrong people, and I was affected by that. My athletic performance allowed me to be drafted in the third round in 2005 by the Cincinnati Reds. They gave me half a million dollars almost to come play baseball. I'd like to say that that made me change my decisions and my choices and my friends, but it didn't. It only filled the fire and I grew further and further away from God. I played minor league baseball for about five or six years and eventually I was given some tests and I failed those tests. Because I failed those tests, I wasn't allowed to play baseball anymore. I tried to go play independent baseball, I tried other things, but baseball just didn't work out for me. So I came home and I started doing construction work. After a few years, I was blessed with the opportunity to start my own business. And for about the last 10 years, I've had the opportunity to work for myself. Working for myself gave me everything the world had to offer. I was a blessed man. I had a big house, I had the cars, I had a beautiful wife, I had beautiful children. But yet I still kept dragging this net around with me. I, I gave God 90%. I thought that was good enough. I come to church, I do things for the church. I'll give things to the church. I don't know why I did it, but I knew it was right. Last year, by the grace of God, he allowed me to stop dragging that net around. He changed my life when I knelt down and said, Lord, you can have everything. I don't want to give you 90%. I want to give you 110%. I want to put everything in your hands and I want to see what your power can do. I want to give it to you, Lord. And from that point forward, I've been more bold. I've been more courageous. I've been all these things 
I've learned that I have multiple spiritual gifts, that I can bear fruit of the Spirit. But all that also came to a screeching halt because I realized that I was missing one thing, and that was love. I still love myself more than I loved God. I was still looking and boasting about what I had done, and what God was doing through me. But by waking up every morning before I do anything else, burying my nose in Bible and praying about it and deciphering for myself what the Bible says to do about it, I've found that it says that love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, love is not arrogant, love is not rude, love is not irritable, and love does not anger easily. And I had failed at that. I had done it at church. I had done it for the most part with the world. But when I went home to my own family, I was not an example of what love should look like. It's my goal, and I know that God will give me the desires of my heart because that's what the Bible says it'll do, that I can be more bold, more courageous while showing the love that Christ has showed me to each and every person that I encounter. That's walking in obedience. It's growing. So no matter how long you've been on this journey of faith, there's always a next step. There's always a next step from us for us because walking in obedience under God's authority is where we experience the ultimate freedom. The more you say yes to God and no to the flesh, no to the desires of your heart and the in a, in, that are works of the flesh, the more freedom you will find. So there's always gonna be hindrances. There's gonna be some fear. There's gonna be people that will be opposed to that. But what is your next step of obedience. What is it for you? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. And we would love to meet you down here in the front or back in the VIP room. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe your next step is, is baptism. You've, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you've never been baptized. And that's your next step of obedience. We can help you with that as well. But every single one of us, we are in this journey. We are learning to walk in obedience. And it looks different for you than it does for me. I know where my next step is. And I hope that you will find it for yourself. That God, As God reveals that to you, I pray that you'll find what is your next step of obedience. Maybe you need to say yes to something. Maybe you need to say no to something. But just ask God to reveal that to you. And he'll make it evidently plain. So let's all stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for God, just the example that Jesus was when it came to learning obedience. God, today, wherever we are on our journey, my prayer is that we'll take the next step. Thank you so much for Zach. Lord, his willingness to share his story today. And I pray that it will be a challenge for all of us, no matter how long we've been in this, God, that we would learn to walk in obedience, to take that next step, whatever that might look like for each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.